Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. So excited to be here. Thank you all for tuning in. This episode, I'm really excited about this episode. This is one of those episodes that as a host, I just enjoy so much, mostly because I only asked about two to two and a half questions the entire episode, and me and the guests were able to just keep going and going, and it was great. Our guest, Greg Nicosi, one of our regulars at the New Orleans Greetings from Queer Mountain. He's an actor. He's a clown. Cozy the clown. He clowns. Clowning is the proper word I learned. I learned in this episode, and you're going to learn too. Uh, we don't just talk about clowning, don't worry. We talk about everything. We end with a little politics, just a mixed bag of religion and politics and childhood and different places that Greg's lived. And it's so fun, and I had such a good time with this one, and I hope you all will too. So let's welcome Greg Nicosi. Thanks for asking me to come. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. I met you, I believe I met, and correct me if I'm wrong, because Lisa corrected me. Lisa Michaels in our 41st episode corrected me saying where we met, because we had met, Lisa and I had met like three times in three different cities within like a month, and I mixed two of them up. But we met doing Greetings from Queer Mountain. Yes. That's how I first came in contact with you. Yeah, and it's Genevieve's fault. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you're friends with Genevieve. She's the person, our very first episode was Genevieve. Um, And eventually what we're hoping to do, Genevieve's in Ireland right now, enjoying her I life. Yeah, yeah she's uh went back to school getting her master's and then they were like every summer you can go to Ireland and she was like okay oh nobody <laughs> I was like I want to go that. back to school <laughs> know, right sign me back up for that but we're hoping to do one she wants to interview me flip the script so that I'm cool. in the hot seat you yeah. know and I was like oh I'll do it I'm not shy about it no you don't seem shy so yeah so we met doing Queer Mountain and uh, is that the first time you've done performance no I I have quite a bit of performance as a background but it's the first time I did something you know stand up not that it's stand up comedy like you do but telling the stories and stuff it was kind of bare i've always done more someone else's work you know yeah because you act right yeah because i saw you in the play looped which was yeah. fantastic thank and you. then I, I know from face i'm just like facebook stalking you yeah. and then repeating this um but you do some clown work is that the yeah clowning? Cozy what the do y'all clown. call it clowning i mean clowning I, okay yeah, i mean i guess <laughs> cozy the clown okay i'm cozy cozy the clown when yeah. did you first start like how do you get into how do you get into I think, clowning you know as a kid i always wanted to run away for the for the circus you know and you know especially on days where you knew you were adopted and you just had to go because like these people weren't yours <laughs> and I also when I grew up I also wanted to hop trains with a hobo with the, like everything in your handkerchief on a stick I don't know that just seemed like what little boys did back then or little gay boys did I don't know clowning so I, I have a lot of different performance things in my background I moved to New York City when I was 21 to dance I had only started dancing about two years before that that was short-lived and then um you know I did get to do some neat things dancing but uh then I um Later, started acting, did that for a while, and then I 
I grew up here in New Orleans, but I moved back because my mom got sick. And it was one of those things, I got a phone call, you know, we need you here as soon as possible because your mother has a brain tumor. So we'd like to operate, but we want you to be here. So I came back and the prognosis wasn't good. And they said three to six months. I'm like, well, I'm going to stay here with mom for three to six months. She lived seven years. (laughs) Seven. You know, I used to say- It was your love. Well, yeah. And I had to say, die, woman, die already. Come on. your, Your love was so healing. It was good quality of life. But anyway, so I don't know. I've never been a person who's really picked what I'm going to do. I just kind of fall into it or back into it or I don't know, just kind of roll with it. But um, one of the things I did was I kind of thought when my mom would pass that I'd go back to my life. Like I didn't accept that this in here back in New Orleans was my life, even though it went on for seven years. But by that time, I had gone through one partner and was on to a new one and more like long-term relationships of like, you know, 10 years, 12 years, stuff like that. Recently, a friend told me, he said, wow, you really are good at picking guys for relationships. I was like, no, 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 not at all. And he said, but 10 years, 12 years. I'm like, no. So I asked my therapist. He burst out laughing. That was his response. I was like, no, I don't pick them well. I just can't get out of them. Anyway. You're um, like, I'm just committed. <laughs> yeah, I'm committed no matter what. I'm going to make this Everything. Work. You're like, it'll be three to six months. And then it was seven to ten years. Exactly. Like, I'm going to see this through. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't see things through. I, I change often. So in careers, I've changed. And I went back to school. to I, I've worked as an interpreter for the deaf on and off for a long time. And then decided, because I was interpreting so many classes, at mostly remedial classes at Delgado and community colleges around for English and math, I realized finally I'd rather be teaching the math than interpreting it. And Because uh, if you still can't find a common denominator when you're like 26 and you're really trying, you know, you need a different method. I, I think you can learn it, but you just need a different method. Anyway, so I went back to school and got a teaching certificate. If you're listening and you're thinking about becoming a teacher, mm, I'm warning you, go for a master's. Don't do the alt teacher certification. I was like four credits away from getting a master's. Anyway, long story short, I started teaching and teaching math. Math, I'm a little math geek. I love math. I love kids. But teaching's the hardest job I have ever done. And I'm not trying to say I've done really hard jobs, but it was like I was not equipped or ready for this. And everybody said, oh, don't worry. It's your first year, your first year. It'll get better. It'll get better. It didn't. It got worse. By the fourth year, I was crying and didn't want to get out of bed to go to work. So I kind of had to get on antidepressants. So it was kind of like I had to be drugged to show up and the kids had to be drugged to show up and not get kicked out. So they're on their Ritalin or whatever. And I'm on my antidepressant. And, you know, we tried to make it work. But, you know, that wasn't really working. What age were you teaching? Oh, middle school. Oh, Jesus Sixth grade, Christ. fifth grade, seventh grade. Yeah. But I'm good. But that's I don't like know the other nightmare grades. age. That's when like, their is. bodies are changing. Oh, my Puberty's God. Puberty's happening. They're starting to understand what liking uh, another person yes, is. It's They're just all these things are going on. They hate their parents. They're at that age when like they no longer love their parents. They fucking hate them. And yeah. they're miserable. And their parents are just destroying their lives. But it's awesome. And then you're trying to teach them math. But no, but you see, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, which is so neat. Like it's just rebelling, which is I think I was stuck there. I didn't rebel. I stick it out. You know, they said, show up and do this and I stay and show up and do it or something. But they're kooky. Like one of my favorite teachers, I had some good teachers in teaching school. One of my teachers taught sixth grade math. And I was like, I'm going to be you. You know, she's married with kids, so I didn't want exactly that. But, you know, (laughs) she did it for a long time, you know, and stuff like that. What was really neat is... I feel like I connected with my students and I had 
students who would tell me, math's my favorite class. They never liked math before they met Mr. Nicosi. And um, their parents would say, what are you doing in the classroom? Like, you know, all they can talk about is like, Mr. Nicosi and math. The first day of school, they're usually like, the parents are like, hello, um, don't look at me. We don't have any math genes in the family. <laughs> uh, you know, algebra, forget it. I'm like, don't ever say that again in front of your child. Yeah. You know, anyway, I said, you know, one plus the box equals seven mm -hmm. you know what goes in that box right everyone yeah. knows what goes in that box you put we, an x there and they're like what the fuck is this x? i know it's just the box <laughs> we just put an x instead of the box so actually i've gotten to do a couple assemblies as cozy the clown he, i'm trying to develop more math and science assemblies and stuff just because it's funner my mom was a high school math teacher so mm -hmm. i grew up as the child of a high school math teacher so i thought math was cool because my mom made it fun even as a very small child i remember having games that taught you addition and subtraction and and they made them games so they yeah. made them fun but then when my friends came over they're like what the fuck is this game like <laughs> let's, let's play Candyland or nintendo and i was like no you take this this string and you, and you put the one and you match it with the three and then on the other side you flip it over and there's a four it's amazing and they're like no yeah and i think it should be fun i mean you have to engage and and kids today are so different than i know they're not showing up to sit down and learn i mean in their own way they are but it's different than how it looked when i went through school back in the 60s and 70s i mean it just is you know yeah anyway so the fourth year of teaching i was teaching at this little school which i probably shouldn't name in a parish which i probably shouldn't name <laughs> but home is in that parish and oh. some other towns like that are in that parish you were out there mm -hmm. i don't know how you describe home to somebody that's never been but it's what and two hours oh. from new orleans it's a, no it's an about an hour and 15 okay hour, maybe an hour and 20 i days. went out there once to do a comedy show and it was pouring rain the whole time so so I have I was just praying that I made it there and back like I have no idea how long <laughs> the trip yeah. was I mean in home is really big and bustling and but it's so tied into the oil industry so if gas prices go down or anything you know when what was the big explosion? I'm blanking on that, too. The BP oil spill? Yeah, the BP oil spill. I mean, it just wiped out certain sectors of, you know, the economy there. In fact, that ties into me being a clown. So I didn't want to go to work. I hated it. I didn't know why I was here. I really kind of, I don't know if it's naive or not, but my belief system is that, you know, everything happens for a reason and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the assistant principal where I went, no, I probably shouldn't say some of this stuff. It was so stupid. Had their head so far up their asses. I mean, like, they would, the assistant principal, who seemed like he didn't know any math, or at least didn't read and comprehend English well, we didn't really get along well. And I'm not one to back down on something when I think and I feel I'm right and I'm righteous about it, you know, I'm not going to just say, oh, okay. And also teaching for me, I've never been the low man on the totem pole. Teachers are at the bottom. They don't care. Sure, you're autonomous in the classroom, but fuck you and you better get those scores and we're breathing down your neck constantly. You know, I would have probably started teaching years ago, except Anita Bryant was saying, keep the homosexuals out of the classroom. And I was like, oh my God, I can't go in the classroom. But anyway, so... He would grade my math tests to make sure they were Common Core standard aligned. Well, I'd already come, I'd come from a school that used the Common Core. I developed a curriculum, which was insane. But, you know, I knew it more than they did, which is okay that we're all learning together. But what was idiotic was he was an idiot. There was another fifth grade math teacher, and she was like, oh, she had all the high kids. I had the lower functioning kids, which was fine. I relate. We're really good. We're, you know, like, <laughs> we're, the, we're the speds down the hall, but we weren't even speds. In this parish that I worked in, where Homa is, they only will allow a teacher to put a student up for evaluation when they're three grade levels behind. You know, when you're three wow. grade levels behind, you're fucked for life. They'll all deny this, but this is what they do. Like, 
you're supposed to do all these different interventions. When you notice something, a kid lagging in class, you do tier one and do this and tier two. And do, you do all these things. You know, you have to Because if they're dyslexic it. and all they need is somebody to help them read in a different way, it's not that they're, they're not intelligent. It's a learning issue. Well, they don't want to spend the money for the evaluation. They don't want to spend, you know, all these different things. Anyway, back to the stupid assistant principal. He said once he's grading one of my papers and it was... Um, the Common Core standard was something like, the students will be able to multiply, divide, add and subtract fractions with unlike denominators, which basically means like three-fourths times two-sixths. You know, it's different bottom yeah. numbers, different denominators. I had a question converting, you know, a half to two-fourths and a half to three-sixths. And, you know, just tell me three other options here or something yeah. for a couple. He said, why is that on the test? I said, because they're learning fractions and how to combine them in division, subtraction, multiplication, and division. That's the common core standard. He said, yeah, but nowhere does it say that they have to do equivalent fractions. I said, but to do any of these add and subtract fractions, you have to make equivalent fractions so you can do it. Yeah. You know, you have that's to have a common process. denominator. <laughs> Part of the process. It's one step of the process. And it's the most important step that kids need to learn at this level. And that's why they all mess up if they didn't get it. And he's like, but that's not in the common core standard. And I'm like... You know, it yeah. was, he was that kind of idiot. And what was ironic is the other fifth grade math teacher, he liked her. I would use her goddamn test. When I finally learned he wasn't going to accept any of my tests, I would just get a copy of hers. For her, he would say it was okay. For me, no, I shouldn't have that question. I was just like, you're an asshole. But I wouldn't say that. What I would say to get sometimes out of these meetings is I'm going to leave the meeting because that's the most professional thing I can do before I tell you what I exactly think of you, which well, I wouldn't use any language that I'm supposed to use when I talk to a superior. And uh, they had these hour and a half meetings every week. Wow. In the middle of the school day, and the students, my students knew I hated these meetings. They knew I hated, hated, hated these meetings. Because then I had to go back to class for 20 minutes before they got to go to lunch, which was a whole other thing. But they had just come from PE. Then they're supposed to be quiet for 20 minutes and, you know, focus and then go to lunch. Like, who does that? I have a classroom full of fifth graders and only two of them read at the fifth grade level. Because... And I only found out this day, at the, the day that I realized that I'm not going to teach anymore, at least not in a school every day, is that I'm in this meeting. It's that hour and a half. And students are like, Mr. Nicosi, I hope you have a good meeting today. I'm like, you know I'm not going to have a... You know what? I'm going to pee. You go. Oh, no, Mr. Nicosi, you said we have to face our responsibilities. I'm like, you listened to me once and that's what you took away? So anyway, so I go to the meeting. The assistant principal's an ass again. So the principal says, oh, I was at a school board meeting last night and uh, they decided that once again, every student in the parish is going to be promoted. I'm like, what? Once again, what? Wait, what are you saying? And my colleague turns next to me. She said, oh, yeah, last year, every student in the parish got, you know, moved up a grade. Regardless of. Regardless of. If, if they, they were ready, to, neutered, yeah. anything, passed, every single, like 19,000 students. That? Yeah, you're the school board, you know, I, well, guess, I guess you do. You can, so they know. did. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, that would explain why no one was at the fifth grade reading level in my classroom. And so I said, wait a second, wait a second, before you go on, do you mean to tell me you've been giving me shit all year long because we're falling behind in the curriculum and you all know that only two kids read at the fifth grade level, but you won't let me meet them where they are and bring them up. I'm supposed to like teach the shit that just going to keep flying over their heads, which makes them more frustrated. It makes me more frustrated. It makes you not get what you think you want. You know, it's just this insane system. And then I said, so every student in the parish is getting promoted? And the assistant principal says, no, Mr. Nicosi, not every student in the parish is getting promoted. I said, oh, what's happening? Didn't Ronnie just say they're all getting promoted? He said, no, they're getting advanced. What's that mean? He's like, promoted means they earned it. Advanced means we just put them there. I was just like ready to launch myself across the table. <laughs> and as I was ready to do that, it was the first, I heard this little voice. And I've only heard a voice a couple times. And it, it was just like, Greg, 
you don't belong here. And all the tension left my body, like no argument. Okay, if I don't belong here, I don't even have to engage with this asshole, right? So I sat back down quiet. And I was just like, oh, that's kind of cool. I don't belong here. I'm like, what? So I go back to my classroom and I'm not fit for human interaction after these meetings because they're an hour and a half of insanity. So the students know, and like I run a very student-centered class, like, you know, they all have their little jobs that rotate. So one of the students' job when I come from back from this meeting is to be the timekeeper on that 20 minutes of silence. So I go in, and the little girl whose job it is to do that that day, she looks at me, and I'm like, no, we're good. They're like, Mr. Nicosi, how was your meeting? I'm like, it was great. They're like, really? I'm like, yes, it was awesome. It was so great. I heard a voice and I'm not going to be teaching anymore. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, I'm quitting teaching. They're like, no, no, you're not. I'm like, oh, yes, I am. I heard a voice and I'm quitting teaching. And they finally like it dawned on them that I was serious. And I kind of dawned on myself that I was serious. I am actually going to have to follow through with this. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. What if I become a clown? And they're like, why don't you do it? You'd be great. Aren't you clown already? And all this stuff. One of them even wrote out a million dollar, you know, drew a million dollar bill. My little anime guy, you know, he said, here, Mr. Nicosi, don't worry about a thing. This is how much money you'll make clowning. It just felt right. Then that was on a Friday afternoon. Sunday, I was going to this little church. There's like 40 people in the congregation. I always sit here and this uh, lady sits one chair over for me. Hey, Sue, how you doing? How was your week? That kind of thing. Hey, Greg, how you doing? How was your week? So I told the story I just told you about like the meeting and the asshole and da, 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 and I heard a voice and told my students and it was great. You know what she pulled out of her wallet? Her clown identification card. Somehow, the higher whatever, the universe put a clown next to me in the little church I go to. And I hadn't known this for like a year that I'd been going there. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I didn't bring mine today. I'd show you. We'll have to put a picture on our Instagram. (laughs) You know, I'm official. Facebook still doesn't think I run a business. But anyway, that's another thing. So that was on Sunday. Monday, I go back to school. Now, all this happened at the end, towards the end of the school year, right before testing. But we had already signed our intent to return letters. And I like to think that I'm an honorable person. I'm a man of my word. So... I had already signed the letter, and now I wasn't have any plans to come back, and I need to go tell the principal. Well, it's Monday morning. You're doing all your stuff. And Monday at my seven-minute lunch while I'm trying to wolf down things, I'm sitting in the teacher lounge with the copy machines and all that shit, and the principal sticks his head in the office. Nicosi, I need to speak with you in my office now. Like, I'm like a little kid. That's how he deals with everybody. He's like, you know, Mr. Warm and Fuzzy. The kid's nickname for him is Pitbull because he goes for the jugular. So I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I wanted to have more integrity to this and tell him, you know, face to face without him hearing it through the grapevine. Yeah. So I'm walking in his office and I'm thinking, how the hell did he know? I mean, I only told like 150 fifth graders, <laughs> you know, and I thought, oh, it had to be one of my colleagues. But I only, you know, the two people who asked me didn't believe I was going to quit teaching. Anyway, I go in and he's not being direct and getting to the point. I'm thinking, what the fuck's going on? Come on. What's going on? Finally, he's having it all. He said, you know, the school board was here this morning. They were walking around the halls and due to budget cuts because the oil prices were going way down they're gonna eliminate i'm like yeah eliminating two teaching positions i was like yes this is awesome oh my god this is great i'm so he's like mr cozy i haven't finished i'm like oh okay what he's like you're a great teacher we're not gonna lose you but i knew at that school i had the second lowest seniority like some of the teachers been there 30 years and so he finished he said you know so we have to eliminate two teachers but what we think we'll do is we'll move you into you know, they were going to shuffle. This teacher was retiring, so they put this other teacher there and moved me into the computer lab. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. Because it meant 
the two teachers that were going to get eliminated were these, you know, when you meet somebody who's born to be a teacher because they like do everything in multiple colors and they're really nice and smiling all the time and they work well with laminate. Yeah. They should be teachers, at least for this age level. And like, I need to be out of here. And I already know I'm supposed to be out of here because I met a clown and, you know, yeah, got yeah, the idea to become a clown. So I'm going to, cl- you know, like, don't, do not fire Megan for me. Do not hold a job for me. I was going to have to come tell you today that I was quitting teaching, not coming back next year to become a clown. And he's looking at me like, <laughs> I said, it started in that meeting on Friday. So you kind of play a part in this and thank you. He's just like, I have never, this is not the reaction. I was like, yeah. So anyway, so he, he actually has been somewhat supportive in trying to get me to, um, I went back to the school as Cozy the Clown and did an assembly and goofed around with the kids. But you know, just math stuff, like, you know, that box and that X, like mm-hmm. I make the kids become the X on stage oh, yeah. and we substitute them, you know, like, well, this little blonde doesn't look like that little brunette. And, you know, so it's fun, you know, and the kids stay engaged and how I like to start sixth grade math, you don't start with fractions. Every curriculum, at least down here, starts with fractions. Well, if you failed fractions in third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade, and you're sitting in sixth grade and they say, we're starting with fractions, you're basically saying, oh, I am so fucked. You already know I don't know this shit. I failed three times or whatever. But so what do you do? You get advanced, not promoted. Then don't start with fractions. Start with something really fun because you want them to get on board, want to come to class, want them to, you know, do this And some people are more visual learners. So like if you do a demonstration, they're like, oh, I get it now versus just like telling them. Them and they're like, and you're like, now you've learned it. I've told you and you've learned it. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, because one of the great indicators of when somebody's learned something and mastered it is when they can teach someone else the concept. And so you end up doing all this stuff that you learn in teacher school and it works out yeah. better than I thought it ever would. But the first thing I do with kids is more algebra. And it's like they have these like comic strips, cartoons, videos that are, we, I made it a dance. I like to dance. Anyway, so. I dance a lot and Cozy dances a lot too. Like I can show you Juju on the beat and stuff like that. I was doing this, the Christmas thing at the convention center, which was so much fun because I got to be Rudolph. I got to be Santa's helper. I get, you know, Cozy was all these different things. And the kids come in and I was up to that point. What I had down pat and could get my students with is I can drop it like it's hot, you know, and they don't expect this old white guy to like be <laughs> dropping it like it's hot. And I could do, you know, the whip and the nay nay. Oh, yeah. Whip and nay nay, you know? So, I'm at the Christmas thing at the convention center and I'm doing the whip and the nanny and some of the kids are doing the whip and the nanny. At one point I had like a whole posse behind me and we're doing the whip, whip and the nanny. And then this little girl comes up to me. She's standing there with one hip cocked out and she's like tapping her foot looking at me. And I come up from my whip and I'm like, what, nanny, what, what's going on? And she's just looking at me and she's like shaking her head, SMH. And I'm like, what, what, you have to tell me. I don't know. And she's like, well, you don't know Juju on the beat? I'm like, you don't know what? <laughs> and she just flips <laughs> off and walks away. And her little sister's standing right behind her, like it's now exposed, uncovered. And I'm like, do you know Juju on the beat? And she's like, uh, will you teach me? And she goes running after her big sister, you know? Anyway, eventually I kept asking kids when they came in, what's Juju on the beat? And the, the mothers of some of these kids said, you know what? Teach the man Juju on the beat because you were just doing it this morning. Now, I haven't been around kids as much. Uh, which is weird for a clown. So I have to keep up on the music because if I'm not keeping up on the music, I'm not going to connect with the kids. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Oh, Juju on the beat? Yeah. I walk in the party, all the girls are looking at me, got my snazzy. But I mean, like, this is like, you know, music sensations. Like when we were coming up, whatever, you know, what was like, who was the first person you loved musically or idolized or something? Oh, uh, 
well, Mariah Carey's always my like go to favorite. But I mean, Boyz II Men was like a big influence in my life. But as far as dances, like I remember when the Macarena came out. So like Shania Twain, Any Man of Mine, the like line dance for that. Like there was a bunch of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and so I grew up more with the bus stop. That was something yeah. you could all get up and do. Well, these are kind of like that. You can do every student who did you on the beat. And my students would always tell me things like, I'm like, what are the lyrics? Oh, Mr. Nicosi, I can't tell you the lyrics. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, what do you mean you can't tell me the lyrics? Oh, they, they didn't know the word explicit. You know, they're like, yeah. oh, they're bad words. You can't say them. But at the same time, I know those little fuckers said all those goddamn words all the <laughs> fucking time. They curse better than I do. When I would say, oh, hell in class, they go, oh, you said a curse word. Well, you're not I'm like, to. I'm like, oh, you know what? Hell is a real place and all of you are going to go there. You know, <laughs> think on that. Anyway, but um, my methods weren't conventional, I guess. But um, That's why they liked you. That's like every teacher movie. Like Dangerous Minds yeah. with Michelle Pfeiffer. Like she walks in the room and just writes, I am a U.S. Marine. Like that's not conventional, but it got these kids' attention, you know? There's a guy, and I wish I would have thought of his name or to look at, remind myself what his name is. He teach like a pirate. And I have a little bit of been working on a pirate routine with my clown. Like you can... You know, a lot of the noses for clowns now are on elastic and not oh. just glued on. So when they're on elastic, you can move it and it becomes your eye patch for your, you know, oh. your pirate. Yeah. Anyway, so just working on little ideas like that. Got to go see some circus folk recently. New Orleans might have a big clown community, but I haven't met them yet. I've gotten to go, you know where, cl actually, it would have ended just today. I'd be flying home from clown camp, but I didn't go this year. Believe it or not, I have a shy side. As crazy as I can be and do anything, apparently there's something still left over from that, you know, little sissy gay boy who, you know, wants to be unseen because he doesn't want to be molested. And he also doesn't want to be picked on, you know. So, yeah, so there's something in there still with that. But if I put on a clown face, it's just like Mardi Gras. When you put on a costume, you can be whatever the fuck you want, you know. And we had that tradition here. You know, I grew up in a family. We all costumed all the time. You know, at least me and my mom, because <laughs> that was my family. Uh, I didn't count my brother or anybody else. Yeah, that's how I became a clown. I do have to ask, have you had an experience where people are scared of clowns or scared sure. of you as a clown? Yeah, there's... I, I feel like sometimes you mention if some people... <laughs> People are like, oh, I love clowns. I grew up with them. And then some people are like, why are clowns still a thing? Like, they are scary. And you have Pennywise and like all these Stephen representations. Stephen King and of, it and yeah. stuff like that. So actually, the code of conduct for a clown in the, in the World Clown Association is to not represent a scary clown. And if you think about it, the real definition, as I understand a clown, is someone who brings laughter or joy. Well, if the person or the entity or whatever you, you know, the character is scary... That's not a clown by definition because it can't be a clown. But there's a world clown organization. Yeah, there's there's two big. There's how do you get into it? There's you two have to big. get inducted. No, I don't know. No, you you send in your money, you, you get, get a membership. Or promoted? Like how? Do you <laughs> how does well, I can work? tell you this. You know, like I don't think I really fit in with the other clowns. I mean, they like me and I like them, and we have a good time. Like. At clown camp, see, there used to be clown college. If I would have gone to clown college, the first time I heard about clown college, which was years ago, I actually, I tricked with the clown from Ringling and Barnum Bailey's, like in the early 80s in New York. He had a big old thing and we had a lot of fun. And he even said, you should come to clown college. You'd be great there. You know, it's still run into problems because I'm a sissy clown. Everyone's like, juggle, you can learn to juggle. I've had the book. I've had the book, Learn How to Juggle. I still don't know how to juggle. And you know what? I don't fucking want to learn. I'm a sissy clown. I can't catch balls, okay? I can <laughs> eat them. I can lick them, but I can't catch them. Clown college is a real thing. And not anymore. It closed okay. in 1996. So in 1996... One of the people who had gone was a clown and is still a clown. Patricia, she opened a clown camp 
up in Buffalo, Minnesota. So where do clowns go? If you want to find clowns, they go up into the woods. Wisconsin has one camp too. Into Wisconsin and Minnesota in the summer. And I really wish it was like, you know, for a year or two years or like you could escape, you know, and just go on clown sabbatical or something because it, it's so much fun. And like, there's usually like 110, 120 clowns. I mean, just imagine like they're my people actually as different as we are. Like there's something called, um, God, I, I blank on all this shit. Like when you bring the Bible to, to, um, gospel clowning oh so i imagined a whole choir section because i sing so i was like oh yeah we're gonna have a tenor section of clowns and we're gonna have a soprano section of clowns well that's not what they mean by gospel clowning what they mean is bringing the word of the lord jesus christ into your life through clowning, be, through clowning. but you know what when it comes down to it these people that i think i'm always going to be so like i am not like you at all they end up being nice and they like me and i like them and we have fun so it becomes a non-issue kind of and like I said before, the whole part of this clown story was sitting in a church. It was a unity church, non-denominational and stuff. It was like, you know, my boyfriend started going. I always read this thing every morning as my morning meditation. And mm, and that's what they do, you know. And when I started going to the church, the first day I went, they sang, celebrate good times. Come on. And you're like, I'm in. Sign yeah, me up. So that was fun. And then they asked me if I would join the choir because it was only a two-person choir. <laughs> and they gave me a mic. So they handed me a mic. And then I got to just talk about whatever like, I wanted. I love church. Yeah, I love this. I mean, who wouldn't wake up and show up for this? That's the Greg show. But it wasn't the Greg show. And that's why I was asked to leave eventually. <laughs> what? You were asked to leave story. church or choir? Mm, no, I ended up, I had no church background. My mom, my families are Catholic, both sides. Well, my, my dad's side of the family is Lebanese. They were Maronite Christians, which is mostly practices Catholicism in the United States. Anyway, they're Lebanese, so they're Maronite Christians there. And my grandfather, my father's father, my paternal grandfather, he was Lebanese, and he was a Maronite priest. But you didn't grow up with the church, you said. Well, wait, wait, wait. You oh, got to think, think about that for a second, because priests don't marry. Oh. Priests don't have children. The Maronite thing was throwing me off because yeah, like, I don't yeah, think I've I know. ever and heard it is, that you're word right. before. So the Maronites, they have... Um, but when they, you say priest versus like pastor Yeah, no, we're talking priest. We're talking priest hear you confessions. No fucking. Like yeah. that's... that's that, well, I think they can... I think Maronites can be married if they're married before they take their vows. But he didn't do it that way. Oh. So he basically, to sum it all up, he and my grandmother met in the confessional. Forgive me, Father. This is how my dad does it. He's like, she seduced him. I'm like, she was 14. How could she seduce him? You know, he said, oh, she'd press her bosom up against the grill and the confessional and say, forgive me, Father, if I have sinned, I have lusted in my heart. And she'd shove her tits up at the window or something. Like, you know, it's always the women's fault, whatever. But what happened is she got knocked up and they had to run away from the church because he brought shame on the family. In fact, my last name's Nicosi. There's only like seven Nicosis in the entire world because, at least in terms of our family tree, because... He made that name up because his father, my great-grandfather, disowned him and made him change his name. So you, there's even a website, that, the Elder Families of Waterville, Maine. That was the Port of Im Immigration. It says the last name is Nahem, Nagem, N-A-G-E-M, at least spelled phonetically in, in how, what are we, the Arabic alphabet? <laughs> I don't even know what it is. What do we have? Anyway, so Nagem. So it, meanwhile, my great-grandmother, I think, had 21 kids, but, you know, well, you know, four died in childbirth, three didn't make it past age one, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so... So your grandmother was 14? My grandmother was 14. Because when what happened is... They, they ran off together? No, she was older. She was, um, I don't, let's see. She was probably like 20, but okay. she met, like, they, they knew each other. It was a small community. Yeah. yeah, I didn't mean to mislead it by saying she was 14. When she was 14, she was, let me back up before that. My great-grandparents were married in Lebanon, and they emigrated to the United States of America, and they left their firstborn, their daughter, 
in Lebanon with her grandparents, my great-great-grandparents. And my great-great-grandfather was the mayor of some town, which is swallowed up by Beirut now, but it was its own town then. Anyway, so kind of she was from a high-class family, so okay. to speak. So my great-grandparents, her, her parents come over here and pop out, start popping out all these children, right? Well, her mother dies in childbirth, having the last one, right? Oh, wow. Her little brother, John. So what do they, what's the dad do? Well, I can't, he's not going to fucking raise these kids, right? This is like 1900-whatever. So he, he sends for his daughter. She, has, she doesn't know her father. She doesn't know anyone. So she leaves that, comes over here, and becomes the mother to her 11 little brothers and sisters. Wow. You know, instant mom. And she didn't I even th- think about it. She just yeah. sent for her, and she went, and that was her. Well, because the grandparents yeah. just sent it. And I have a feeling just from other things historically and in the family and lots of therapy on my part that she had to take on a lot more roles than, you know, anyone would want including, you know, somehow, you know, being sexually abused. And I only say that because she's the perpetrator for me. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> you, don't have to, you can talk yeah. about whatever you want no, to. No, but, and... but it, it's kind of important because so she did have this thing. Like, you know, they say, oh, you know, like 90% of, you know, prostitutes and people who do porn or, you know, were sexually abused. And I don't know if it's a true statistic or not, but, you know, I've done those things. So I haven't done the porn yet. Yeah. You know. Anyway, I still talked hope. about it in some of the Queer Mountain stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, especially like what I'm always interested in is your evolution as a person, you know, and that's why, you know, I, when I asked about the clown, because I know that's a, a part of you and that's important. So yeah. it's always interesting, like how that particular thing came about. And I know, you know, you've talked about, and I do want to ask about your years in New York, because I feel like those were very interesting. And you've talked about that a lot in your stories yeah. at Queer Mountain. But yeah, I mean, whatever experiences we have, they lead us to the person that we are right here, right now. Yeah. So whether it's something that if you went back in time, you do again or not, it's still part of you. Oh, I would do <laughs> most of this again. Um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, if I could somehow wish away the AIDS epidemic, you know, whatever, I'll but it's here and it's part of it. Which, you, have you gotten to see the, the TV show Pose? I've seen some of it. Uh, my girlfriend watched all of it. So I caught some. I have never, I never watched TV. I mean, which is weird when I was pursuing acting, like I couldn't tell you who I was. You know, I didn't know TV shows. You know, I was supposed to be going for getting TV and movie because unless you make it really big on stage, but the only way to make it big on stage is to go do TV and movies and then get into a, a show because you want to. Yeah, because Broadway is actually like, even if you're in a show, you're not getting paid. Well, I mean, if you're, you're the lead, yeah, if you're you the might lead. be getting $50,000 a performance, but that's like chump change in Hollywood, you know. But just the irony that I was supposed to pursue something that I don't, I don't go to the movies and I don't watch TV and for lots of reasons, but mostly just how I grew up. I mean, we were allowed so much TV. My mom thought it was an idiot box and there was no reason to tune in. And, um, you know, anyway, so Pose, my boyfriend turned me on to Pose. I guess it was Kevin. And it's the first time in my life that I'm experiencing something that's really not the first time, but it's the first time something ongoing. Like I want to see it, but almost every episode I get PTSD. It's almost like somebody got my story and is doing it in Pose. Now I'm not a I wasn't a voguer. I wasn't in, in the balls and stuff like that. I'm not talking New Orleans balls. I'm talking um the balls. Pose is talking about it. So I'm not part of that culture in New York, but I knew of it. I had a couple acquaintances, went to balls. But um the rest of it, the being a survivor of that AIDS epidemic. John Irving, who wrote Cider House Rules and World Carding the Garb, he's one of my favorite authors. He wrote in the foreword of one of his books, more men died in the years between, I believe he uses 1984 and 1994 in New York City alone than all the American casualties in Vietnam. Now, not to discredit anyone's loss in Vietnam and, and the horror of that. We all know it was, you know. And until I read that, I didn't realize why I was walking around like 
I felt like a soldier who no one got it. I mean, if you were in New York then, you got it. But I went to a wedding like two years ago, a heterosexual wedding, and I'm looking at my friends who's uh, children are getting married and I'm looking at how many friends they have. It's a straight couple and they have lots of friends that they've known their whole life and grown up with. I couldn't have that wedding. I, I couldn't have the children that could have that wedding because I don't have that many friends over the years because they're dead, dead. And so to watch Pose and to be reminded, one of my favorite songs ever that I used to like, I had a lover who passed away, Mark Isaacson. And I had lots of friends. To, all my friends died. Like I'm the only one left standing kind of thing. And it's like, why? Survivor guilt, all this kind of stuff. But it's like, well, I'm here. So I better just fucking do something. And um, I don't know what that is still, but, you know, love people, take care of them when I can, whatever. And make them laugh, you know, or, and have yeah, fun like doing make it. Make their life better yeah. just by you being you and being here. Yeah. And Cozy, I'm... St- if I get out of Cozy's way, he's going to do just fine, you know, because he's kind of like my alter ego. Or, and he's a hoot. When me and Cozy are alone at home, like we get up to all kinds of shit. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's one of those things like, are you talking to yourself? Of course not. I'm talking to Cozy. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, Cozy. And Cozy's, you know, it's like, and they have their whole thing of Cozy's sex life and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Cozy's no longer a virgin. That's all I'm going to say. It was about time, right? <laughs> Well, everybody assumes because I'm a thought that Cozy's a thought, but Cozy's not a thought. But um, he's he's got some thought and ways. I mean, he he does. You know, he we share the bodies. But no, I have to tell you, I'm going to go back to teaching for a second. So yeah. thought, I had recess duty. So the kids went to lunch and they get to go run around for 20 minutes outside. So I'm standing there, and two of my students come up to me, Isabella and Cheyenne. And Isabella said, "Hey, Mister Nicosi, you want to know something about Cheyenne?" I'm like, "Sure, tell me something about Cheyenne." She said, "She a thought." This is three years ago. Okay, I'm like, what? She had thought. I said, thought. what are you saying? Spell it. I don't understand even what letter goes in the beginning of the word. And I'm like, spell it. So she can't spell it. And she, so Cheyenne chimes in. Uh, T. Uh, H. I said, okay, well, don't worry about how you spell it. What does it mean? Yeah, oh, Mr. Nicosi, I can't tell you what it means. I'm like, well, why not? Oh, I couldn't talk like that to a teacher. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, well, Cheyenne said, we can tell them about all my boyfriends. And they start talking about all Cheyenne's boyfriends. This is for fifth grader. She's talking about her boyfriends in third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade, some that are in sixth grade. You know, and I'm like, I'm starting to get it, the idea. So it's a go play. So they go skipping off. And then Miss Campbell, the assistant principal, comes out. I say, Miss Campbell, what's a thought? And she said, oh, where'd you hear that? And I said, well, Isabella just called Cheyenne one. Oh, Isabella's in so much trouble. She knows she should. I said, no, no, no. Cheyenne liked it. I'm like, so what does it mean? You're like, but well, what is it? She said, she looked both ways to make sure nobody's going to over here. She said, that hoe over there. So I learned all kinds of things from my fifth graders. Like Cheyenne, I would ask her, I would try to encourage her. I'm like, come on, Cheyenne, you got to try to do your work. She's like, Miss oh, Cozy. I mean, to get a fifth grader to connect to like earning a living, especially in today's age when they never see money because it's all on these, you know, little rectangular cards and they no sense of money. You're like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And she's like, Miss Nicosi, I'm going to be just like my mother. I'm like, well, what does she do? Oh, she stays home and her friends come by and bring her money all day. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's just, it was disturbing. I well, it's interesting students- that that's normal for her, you know, like that's her life and that's a very normal thing. And for other kids that they, that might not be, you know, their yeah, experience. No. The students I had were the, some of the poorest kids I've probably ever met and they're most wonderful and happy and loving. And, you know, one day I'm walking down the hall with one of my students, Lamar, 
and Lamar was a mess. I mean, he was just a hot mess. But Lamar was a genius at rapping anything, rap music, any, you know, like coming up with lyrics. He, he could sing to you about his breakfast. He could rap to you about this. So I got him to start rapping about the math stuff we were doing. So maybe it would stick in his brain. But of course, if I tried to test him that way to find out if he knew how to do it, the administration, those tests, you know, yeah. like they weren't, you know, anyway. So, but he was that. He was just special. And he wasn't getting food at home. These kids are living through things that, you know, I thought I was, you know, I'm, I'm white, liberal, you know, I understand poverty. I don't understand poverty at all. And one thing I can say is like, there were reasons I was there and had that year. And it was for some of those specific students. Like, I know I was put there to do what I could with a couple of them, you know, like intervene, like in a way that had to happen. Mandatory reporter kind of stuff. And none of that's easy. Um, no, sometimes it's not a choice. Yeah. So anyway, so being a clown, getting to go back there and be clowning. I've done some other assemblies. I want to, I'm going to, Cozy's going to develop stuff and get more circusy because I don't have the circus skill. But I like slapstick. I mean, I like broad comedy, slapstick. I've done some improv and I, you know, I moved to New York to dance. I love movement. And that's got me into sign language because I was in a dance company and someone joined the company who knew sign language. And I was like, wow, when I saw her do a pirouette and do the sign for Mountain. And I was like, you know, just like, uh, I fell in love with it. And then later, I'd been in college, left college to move to New York. Well, I left college because I was depressed and didn't want to go on. And I knew I was going to... Where'd you go to school? University of Chicago. Okay. And I was, so you left New Orleans for Chicago yeah. and then went to New York. Well, with uh, a stop for a year in Princeton, New Jersey. By the end of my sophomore year, I was really depressed. You know, the coming out process for me wasn't, you know, as smooth as I would like to think, you know, have it be. And, um, you know, suicidal. So... I really believe in things like the Trevor Project and stuff like that. And I don't know. Maybe Cozy has to, can have something to do with that. But anyway, I knew I was different. In a, and, you know, we all have our journeys with the shaming of it. I mean, I've learned so much attending queer, you know, stories from Queer Mountain because even as knowledgeable as I like to think I am about topics and stuff, I'm like still clueless. So I left Chicago and the only thing that saved my life was a dance class. And at University of Chicago, it's very geeky school. Like I went there because it was the least prep. It was, there was a preppy handbook back in the late 70s, early 80s called the Preppy Handbook. And at University of Chicago was voted the most unpreppy school in the United States of America. So I decided I want to go there because I grew up here poor and not a preppy. I couldn't afford Lacoste shirts and Atta beads and all this shit. And I, no one in my family was making debuts or, you know, stuff like that. New Orleans is in Louisiana have like have brain drain for years until people, I don't know when you came here, but you know, Katrina has kind of turned that around, I think, but there's not the same opportunity. So you go to Houston, you go to Atlanta, you go to New York, whatever. So I, I never saw myself here. And that's, you know, been part of my journey too, because just trying to accept that this has always been my life here from when I back down to take care of my mom. I really thought when she died, I'd go back to my life. And it's so it's still like I'm going back to claim parts of my life that, oh, this whole time it's been my life. Wow. So after your mom passed, you stayed in, like you never left New Orleans again? Or did you? Just on trips. They let okay. me visit. You know, I have a passport. <laughs> So you're in Chicago for a couple of years. You go to I take Princeton, the New off. Jersey. I decided that I'm not going to return to school. So I'm spending, I hadn't seen my dad in a couple of years. And he is on the boat. I'm living on the sailboat. He lives on a sailboat in San Diego. I'm living on the sailboat with him. Kind of cool. One of his girlfriends at the moment is taking a dance class at University of California, San Diego. I go with her because I just took a dance class. It saved my life. I like it. So I go, it's a Martha Graham class. So I'm like, you know, having contractions on the floor and it's great. And my spine hurts. And the dance instructor's a male with a, like a cod piece for days. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is like, why didn't I know about this before dance and stuff? And then my dad brings home a taco, a 
application to Taco Bell. And I was like, oh no, this is not happening. I can get my own job and it won't be Taco Bell. So I called University of Chicago and I said, can you help me? My dad's ringing me up, you know, yeah. thinking I'm not coming back to you, but I'm not working at Taco Bell. And they hooked me up with this lady, principal of a school right outside of Princeton, New Jersey, Kendall Park. They needed a teacher's assistant. So I did an interview over the phone. She said, well, I interviewed like, you know, a lot of other people in person, but I still had made the selection. So I'm thinking I was waiting for someone like you. And if you can be here by Monday or something, um, the job's yours. So I flew across the country for $3.15 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, that was hard. So that was my first teaching experience. I was a teacher's assistant, but okay, I was so in the classroom the working the classroom. with kids. And then at one point we taught the kids the manual alphabet and sign language and how to say my name is you know mm -hmm. greg my name is debbie in fact i have one student bless her heart this so the school i started working at and this goes back to even more recent teaching was a, one of the first schools at least in new jersey or the northeast for learning disabled kids and that's 1984 wow. which was a you whole school so anyway so i got to work with these kids and i still remember one student We'd say, my name is, and you know, the signs for A, B, C, D, E. Well, we had a student whose name was Debbie. So she would go A, and we'd all be doing it together. A, B, C, D, E, B, B, I, E. She could never go on to F. She just couldn't. You know, <laughs> I had to start that. her at like H or something like that. But it would always be D, E, B, B, I, E. She's and like, I am the alphabet. <laughs> she is the alphabet. So they were great. Moved to Princeton, did that. Started dancing there in two dance companies. Danced with Princeton Ballet and their senior company for a minute. Did some musical theater. I'd never done musical theater. You've heard me tell a story about my first audition. Yeah. For musical theater. Kind of saying my own stuff. Guys always got breaks dancing you know if you had rhythm they were like we have a male body let's use it and um i went to new york i got a job dancing right away you know and i every you know each thing i just work to work to work well and i'm not fabulous stuff but it's at the beginning of mtv and stuff like that some music video stuff like that then i got to be a backup dancer for wanda d and wanda d is like one of the first female hip-hop artists like she's you know, in the annals and stuff like that. Got to perform at the Apollo and stuff. And oh, my wow. mom even That's got awesome. to see me. And um, when Wanda D started making it bigger, I wasn't with her anymore because my I lived in New York two years. Then I moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to finish my undergraduate. I finally realized I wasn't dancing anymore. Like, what should I do? I'd ask everybody and their neighbor, what do you think I should do? And they're like, go finish your bachelor's degree. You know, you can't, you need to. And, uh, and then I met a psychic who said the same thing. And since she said it, then I would do it. <laughs> and so I, I found University of Pittsburgh and I was like, what should I major in? Major in whatever the fuck you want. Like, I didn't, one of the things that was depressing me besides coming out my sexuality was that I was majoring in physics. And the only reason I was majoring in physics is because I placed first in the state of Louisiana in physics on this test they give high school students. And then I placed second in chemistry, which I should have placed first, but I was 20 minutes late to the test. But that's, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll live with it. So I'm going to major in physics. Well, where do you go? You go to the place where they split the atom, University of Chicago. That's the best place to go for physics. I had no college guidance. I was one of the first two students to leave the state to go to college. You know, the, the girls' basketball coach was our college counselor. You know, like yeah. he didn't even know how to mail the letter. You know, I had to do it all for him and say mail it. You and know? That was all by hand before the computer. Now, now, like, you would just apply in some of the state schools. You can apply to the state school system and you just click boxes and then you apply to multiple schools you had a hand i hand wrote my app well my mom did i hand <laughs> i have terrible writing 
I have terrible writing. So I hand wrote them and then my uh-huh. mom re-hand wrote them because she's like, you're not going to get into college based on your handwriting. And so, yeah, computers are a miracle for that stuff. But yeah, you had to handwrite it. You had to get it there. You had to wait. You had to wait forever. forever. And so my two top choices were University of California, Berkeley, and University of Chicago. Again, I had no college guidance. And the reason I picked Chicago over Berkeley was because my father lived in California and I didn't want to be that close to him. If woulda, coulda, shouldas, I think Berkeley would have been a whole different life path. But at the same time, there's certain people that I've met in my life who've become really tight with me. One friend in particular, Catherine, she went to Berkeley. We probably would have become friends, you know, that freshman week orientation thing. Mm -hmm. But we met in an acting class in New York and then we became best friends. So... We joke about that. I didn't know this at the time, but Chicago, not sh- well, Chicago, the city, but University of Chicago was pretty conservative. I mean, they're known for that in, in economic outlook and things like that. But like I said, I didn't know that much. They, they split the atom. I'm going to major in physics. I'll go there because yeah. I got accepted and a good scholarship. That's a great school. Yeah. I mean, it's very but, well uh, known. Oh, my God, you know, coming from a little school where you're like, you're the, you know, the A student in the top of grade in every class. And all of a sudden, like at University of Chicago, I was the dummy. I didn't realize this for the first till the end of the first school year. I was the token Southerner. That's how my classmates viewed me because I had a thick accent. So when I talked, I didn't realize it. I would make points in class, and I'm you know we all experience this at different levels. It's like I just fucking said that. Mm-hmm. And, Welcome to being a woman. Yeah, <laughs> having the man say the same thing that you said, even though you said it better and more concise, and then having him get credit because he was louder than you. Well, and in, in, even in interpreting, I've had. There's situations where people, women, you know, for certain things, you don't get to choose your interpreters all the time, but women might want a woman. You're going to a gynecological exam. Might be more comfortable for everyone involved if there's another woman or something. But I'm a professional. I can do those too. There's times where women will ask for a male interpreter if they have to, like, call the bank or they need that male authority voice that people will respond to quicker mm-hmm. than a female's voice. All this kind of shit. It's so dumb. The last time I bought a brand new car... I went by myself the first time. I don't know. The guy was treating me like garbage and I left. And the second time I brought my one of my friends, my friend Jeff, and I was just like, I just need a dude to come with me. And it changed the whole way that this experience went. First of all, they assumed we were together, but they only talked to him. They didn't talk to me. We helped purchase the car that I wanted for the price that I had wanted, and we made it happen. And I hate that that has to happen, but that experience, I wasn't going to keep putting myself in this miserable experience, and I needed a car, so I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I've experienced that in a different setting recently. My boyfriend's African-American, black, and I've been in situations with his family, and his sister-in-law kind of calls me on it. Like, it's not calling me on it, but points it out. We went to a restaurant not too long ago, a group of seven of us you know we're gonna probably spend minimum two hundred dollars in your restaurant just because there's seven of us you know yeah. we go in they didn't take reservations it was a busy night turns out blah 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 they said uh possibly an hour and a half wait so we have to decide you know yeah. time to go somewhere else and all these different things but they expected us to stand outside in new orleans summer stand it is for, too hot for, for two hours i'm like so i'm like this is ridiculous because they have a big entry area but just no chairs I mean, they had one banquette for people to sit on, but it was occupied with another family waiting. Anyway, so I go up to the lady and I'm like, could you um, get us some seating? Like, we can't stay outside for, you know, what are you thinking? But for them, for they wouldn't say anything, you know, it's like, just accept it. And I was, so I'm learning stuff like this and I don't... I don't pretend to know what's going on, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone that I'm saying. Like They're like, that's not what happened, and get over yourself. But from 
my kind of sister-in-law's point of view is just like, oh, he's doing that whitey thing where they can just walk up and get us chairs. Yeah, but, <laughs> And I mean, it's that privilege that I don't even know I have, but I'm becoming more cognizant of it yeah. that, oh, wow, I can well, intercede Well, you don't think here. about it because your whole life you've gone around and you're like, there's no chair here. I'll ask for a chair. And someone Because you got 50 you empty chairs chair, right there. Uh-huh. But someone else's experience is the opposite of that. They, If they ever asked for the chair, all of a sudden the wait became three hours, you know? I was in a restaurant in Baton Rouge and there was, um, it was me and then three friends and it was me and one other girl was white and then the other two friends were black. It was, so there's four of us. So we, I went up to check in but clearly they saw us all there and they said oh yeah it's gonna be a 45 minute wait and then four white people walked in and they sat them immediately and i started like yeah i would going off about it and then they like came up to me and they're like oh no it wasn't anything about your group it's just and they tried to like make up a reason they're like well they wanted a booth and the booth was available for and you know it was like some bullshit and i'm like we all know what this is and it was just sobered like but that was one of those things like i'd never experienced that and my other friends were like no this is like what happens all the fucking time and i was like this is not okay and they're like well, what are you gonna do like there's just too many people to reform and change and talk to and and i was like i don't know what to do but we got to do something <laughs> it's terrible though but it's you know it's a, an awareness on our end and our efforts to to try to bring about as much change as we can yeah i mean i don't even want to but like the shooting yeah. the other day in el paso you're like and our president encourages that. Really? That's who we have in office? We go from like someone who you could emulate and aspire to be to like this? Yeah. And I to guess, someone who's uh, like essentially inciting riots yeah. and doing so many problematic things and who honestly doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care about this wall. He What he cares about is inciting people, playing on these like secret homophobic, they're racist, they're nationalists, like playing on these things that they used to think like, I can't talk about this because everyone's going to say you're racist and that's bad. And now they could be like, yeah, I am racist, but I'm racist against Mexicans that can't come to my country, you know, and like they have this backup for it. Well, it's like the little bit I know about, you know, communism and Karl Marx's writings that if we would focus on the socioeconomic instead of race, we'd all be better off, in my opinion. And, yeah, you know. but you just distract people. All in the meantime, Trump's changing all the tax laws so that when he gets out of office, he will be even richer than when he got into office. Mm-hmm. And he is still running, you know, businesses and things that he's not supposed to be doing. And you're just trying to distract us with all this other bullshit. And guess what? It's fucking working. <laughs> it's fucking working brilliantly. That's but- the part I hate where I'm just like, I hate to say it, but the plan's working. <laughs> And I can't stop it. Yeah, and the Supreme Court, like, that he gets to put all these nominees up. Uh, that's going to be with us a long time. Because some people... RBG needs to hang on for her life. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to just prop her up. Even if she passes before the presidency switches, Usually we can block they the nominee yeah. long enough to get a Democrat in. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the next election. I'm not going to get cheated. I don't even need a Democrat. I just need somebody who thinks logically. Well, I was surprised, too. Honestly, I thought the Republicans... This is why I... I Think that they're cowards. I thought they wouldn't. I know you're supposed to run the incumbent. I get that. Why doesn't want somebody else run? But they don't. You know. Well, they just, won't do that. They're but, all backing him up, even though half of them were like, "I will literally never back Trump. I will never support but, this nomination." And here but they are. Like even the most recent thing he was doing that was racist, they didn't attack him for being racist. They attacked people for saying it was racist. It's like a mind fuck. You know, I do think we can cause change, but we just have to be that change somehow i don't have the solution i mean i would tell my students they would say like listen to cozy why do we have to learn algebra i'm like you know what just because you have to but you may never ever do anything that i'm asking you to do in real life that's fine i'm totally on board with that however what i am trying to do and my goal is to get you to be a critical thinker 
and like a critical thinker. I'm like, I want you to be able to listen to someone and tell when they're bullshitting you. And they're like, you said a bad word. I said, don't focus on the word I just used. Focus on what they just said. I said, do you think it's an accident? Do you realize we're the only classroom in the school that doesn't have a working smart board? That's the electronic chalkboards they use now. And I said, do you realize this school is one of the only schools in the parish that doesn't have the blah, blah, blah. And it's not an accident that we're sitting in this room. It's a storage room. Anyway, so all these things. And I got to interpret a sociology class at Delgado West Bank. And the teacher said something. I was just substitute interpreting. And she said to the class, because they were all like learning whatever they're learning. And she said, remember class, what did we say last week? Whenever you notice a pattern, it had to be planned. Plans don't happen by accident. So if you notice anything, it was planned, just like voting rights and all this kind of shit. So I tell my students that, and they're like, Mr. Nicosi, really? I'm like, yes, really, 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 you know. It sounds like conspiracy theory. Like I always, I'm like, everything's a scam, and they're all just trying to scam you, and it's all a trap, and we're falling right into it, and I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I think I'm right sometimes. Couldn't be wrong all the time. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Um, hopefully this interview was enjoyable for you. I know we covered yeah. a lot of ground. I think, you know, in the future, we'll have to get you back to do another one, because I feel like there's so much more to share. Well, thanks. Yeah, but, I'd love to come back. And uh, yeah. thanks for having me. Where uh, can people find you? Oh, I'm on Facebook, Greg Nicozy, N-A-C-O-Z-Y. There's only one of us, but there's two of us now because I messed up how I set up Facebook and there's Greg Cozy Nicozy. Cozy, C-O-Z-Y. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you to our guest, Greg Nicosi, for sharing his world with you. Special thank you to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing this podcast. If you like what you hear, give us a rating on iTunes. Send us some love. You can find us on social media, Twitter, Queer to My Heart, Instagram, Facebook, Near and Queer to My Heart. Say hi. Hang out with us. We'd love to hear it. You can find our live queer storytelling show, Greetings from Queer Mountain, in New Orleans, Austin, Oakland, New York City, and now Baton Rouge. Thank y'all. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.